one of the secrets to sales is to convince, not to tell somebody what you have to sell, but to tell them what you can do for them. The brand here is to do things a little differently than other people do. So mm -hmm. not only do you have to convince them first that they should be doing something different, yeah. and then they have to decide to do it with you. So there are all these different stakeholders and people who, by the way, they may all be aligned around this organization and what yeah. they're trying to achieve, but they frequently have very different views about how to get there. Welcome to another episode of the Scalable Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi, and as always, I'm pumped, honored, and excited that you have joined us for what is a very special episode. And the reason I say special is because you probably see I'm sitting next to a gentleman here. It's a live podcast um, that I'm doing all the way from New York City in Manhattan in a beautiful place right in between Central Park and Times Square. Um, and but, but before we jump into today's episode, and I'm, I'm eager to introduce this week's guest, I just want to say thank you for showing up. If you're a first-time listener, we hope you take away some actionable insight that leads you coming back every single week. And if you're a long-time listener, thank you for always showing up. We produce this content to help you be the very best sales professional you can be. So the long-awaited, I would like to introduce today's guest Mike, thank you very much for joining us on the Scalable Growth Podcast. My pleasure, Luigi. Great to be here with you. Yeah. And mate, just before we jump into today's episode around sort of, you know, selling without selling, but building relationships, do you mind telling our audience a bit about yourself, um, what you do at Crucial and yeah, a bit about sort of your history in, in working in the investment sector? Sure. Uh, so my name is Mike Miller. I'm Chief yeah. Investment Officer of Crucial Partners. Uh, we're New York City-based, as you said, yeah. investment advisor largely to nonprofit institutions that mm. do all kinds of great things, foundations, endowments, community foundations, a variety of organizations. Yeah. Um, I joined Crucial in 1986 when I was oh. in college. Um, yeah. So I've been here a long time, which has been great for me, wonderful journey. Um, and and our job is to, is to help these great institutions that we work with have more impact in the world. And, yep. and our contribution, our small contribution or big contribution, depending on the day to what they do is to invest their capital, help them invest their capital as wisely as possible and to yep. you know, generate the outcomes that they need to, uh, to tackle the issues that, that their organizations have been set up to, to address. Yeah. Awesome. And just for, for those that might not know the endowment space, do you mind sharing a little bit about sort of, you say, invest their money, um, just give our audience a quick understanding of when you say their money, is that their savings? Is it, you know, just talk a bit about, you know, what does that mean and, and how do you help them grow the money that you invest? Yeah. So a lot of non, happy to, a lot of nonprofit institutions um, either were originally endowed, someone passes away and says, I want to create a foundation or even yep. they're alive. They want to create a foundation. They give money they've earned to, uh, per, you know, to pursue a charitable uh, purpose. Yep. Um, others are more of like fundraising organizations. So we're all, if you're a college graduate, you've yeah. probably gotten hit up for a donation <laughs> from time to time from yeah. your from your university. Uh, and they they pull that capital. Some of it they spend, and other parts of it they save. And this yep. part they save is what we call endowment. And and the idea of endowment is a really cool one, which is like you know you can say I'm going to give a hundred dollars to my organization, this organization I care about. Yep. And I, and, you, and, I, and I care about battling, I want scholarships to go to disadvantaged yep. students. And what we do essentially is that pool of money, try to in, invest in such a way that it can support students today that, that need a leg up financially, yep. and also can do the same thing 10, 20, 50 okay. years from now. And it's, it's the yeah. power of a gift and the power of investing it wisely. Fantastic. So essentially you help 
take their initial investment or their initial pool of funds and continue to grow and compound the fund that they have so that they can continue to, sh- to contribute to their community and achieve their mission and impact and what they're trying to achieve. Precisely. Yeah, fantastic. So we'd love to know, like I know for a lot of our listeners, um, we have a lot of sales professionals that listen to this show because they're looking to find that extra 1% or that extra half a percent um, to improve in their, in their role. Um, some are selling products worth, you know, $5,000. Some are selling products worth a couple of million dollars. Do you mind walking us through um, what's been one of the biggest accounts that you've won? And do you mind sharing what was the size of that account? You know, it was a foundation on the West Coast, United States. Yep. Um, this all happened actually about 23 years ago. Now, well. So it's been a while, actually. <laughs> um, it's, you know, but it was one of the biggest and most impactful ones for me. Um, and uh, that account was at the time approximately $500 million of, of invested assets. Wow. So a lot of money. Yeah. And we'd love to get your – how did you go about finding that opportunity and, and, and what did the process look like to get them to trust you? Because that's a huge amount of trust somebody's putting in you to take $500 million of their money and invest it for them. Um, so w- w- just to be technical for a second, so yep. we're advisors, so yep. we don't always, we don't, in this case, particularly don't make the decisions, but mm. they base their decisions on our advice. Yeah. So it's, it's important, but I just want to, I don't want to leave yeah. your listeners thinking that we're <laughs> actually deciding on everything there. Yeah. Um, it was, it was an interesting story. Um, we were, and, and have, we were trying to establish uh, a reputation in a group of, in an area in the United States called community foundations. So yep. these are foundations that exist to serve in different communities around the country. So this was a West Coast uh, one in California. And I, I had um, been speaking at conferences and networking a little bit with people who attended these conferences who were yep. largely chief financial, chief financial officers of a lot of foundations around the country. And I, I met the guy who was the chief financial officer of this organization. Yep. And at that time, uh, our firm did not work with anyone west of the Mississippi because we're New York based. We're very mm. hands on, and you know we didn't want to be flying spend our whole lives on airplanes. So I remember walking up to him. I mean, he was a really obviously a super guy, a friend to this day. And and I said to him, I said, "The well, goodness is, like, you and I can just have a beer and be friends because." I don't want your business because yeah. <laughs> um, we don't work for that. And um, I will tell you, it was very funny. So we, we immediately hit it off and yeah. just became good friends. Um, and then what happened was about a year later, uh, he sent me an email. I'll never forget it. It actually, the, the subject line of the email was Clemens for Miller. Uh, so um, there was a pitcher at the time, uh, uh, Roger Clemens, yeah. who had been traded away from the Yankees. I don't know where he went. And, and the joke was that, um, that, this foundation wanted to take an East Coast guy and bring him West Coast. Oh. And, and basically, so we want to trade Clemens for Miller. Would you consider breaking your rule yep. and, and think about working for our foundation? And that's, that's how it started. Wow. So it started with a little bit of a creation of, we're not, I'm not selling you anything, yeah. but let's get to know each other. Let's, let's see if there's uh, you know, a connection mm. in terms of knowledge. That's really philosophy. interesting. During that time where, from that first beer to the point that they send you the, an email, was there any communication? Did you share some insight? Were you giving any reports? Yeah, we had a report we were publishing at the time yeah. around community foundations and their returns. And so yeah. there, was a, there was a period where there was a report or two that went out. So you know, he was consuming some of our content. Mm. Um, he and I spoke once in a while about investing and yeah. what we were doing, what we were seeing. Um, and so, yeah, that was, there, was a lot, there was some information that flowed back and forth. Yeah, so fundamentally, your, the way in which 
you were, you didn't sell to him. You were just educating, providing some value, providing a particular point of view. And then when he was ready, that led him to a point of asking, would you do the business with me? Correct. Yeah. That's exactly it. And I think that's, that's a good way to start a, a good, strong, trusting relationship. Yeah. And is that a blueprint? Is that the sort of a blueprint that you've used to over the last 23 years to, to win other accounts? Yeah, I think it, it is, definitely is. And I think it's, it, it's not usually that stark where you say, I, I, you know, I'm not looking to work for you because yeah. we are looking to work for people that really we feel very strongly aligned with. Um, but I do think that you know, someone taught me years ago that, that one of the secrets to sales is to convince, not to tell somebody what you have to sell, but to tell them what you can do for them. Yeah. And so the content is a really important way for us to demonstrate and advance to people yeah. that there's something we can do that mm. is useful to you. Yeah. Because, you know, in understanding what you do, um, there can be a very long sales cycle, right? Because sometimes they're already in a partnership with mm -hmm. somebody else. It could be two, three, four, five years, yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. we happen to pursue a, a brand of what we do that I think is the secret to the success. Yeah. But the brand here is to do things a little differently than other people do. So mm -hmm. not only do you have to you know, convince them that you have to convince them first that they should be doing something different. Yeah. And then they have to decide to do it with you. Um, yeah. So it, it is, a, it's, a, there's a process. It's a cycle. It's a long cycle, like you said. Yeah. And I'd love to touch on that, right? Because, um, you know, what, maybe you can talk, obviously Crucial Partners does, does things a bit unique in comparison to, to some of the other players in the market. So fundamentally you've got essentially two sales decisions that need to be made you've got the first decision where they need to be change their mindset in the way that they invest and then the second element is they need to change from how they're doing it to you right and in all of that there's multiple stakeholders that you need to essentially um, influence because it's not just one person making the decision right exactly yeah. Do you mind walking us through, you know, what does that process look like and how many people do you have to get to that point of, you know, decision to choose you over the competition? Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, you have mm. to usually you start with um, an, a finance or even an investment team that yeah. works for the client directly. Like they're, 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 they're part of the team there. Then there's usually an investment committee, uh, which could be anywhere from four to 10 or 12 people even. Uh, sometimes there's a group in that committee that kind of has a lot of the power and a lot of yeah. the influence. Um, so they're the most important, but you wouldn't necessarily know who they were in advance. So there are all these different stakeholders and people who, by the way, they may all be aligned around this organization and what yeah. they're trying to achieve, but they frequently have very different views about how to get there. And mm -hmm. so you have to really navigate those waters and there's some things you can do to make it yeah. work. Oh, I'd love you to, if you're open to sharing on it, because I think that's, when we look at some of the B2B data, I know it's a little bit different to, to, to the industry that you're playing in, but some data shows us 40 to 60% of decisions end up in no decision because the buying committee is so wide. There's so many people. They just can't come to a point of agreement. Yeah. Um, what are some of the strategies that you've put in place, like you said, when you're navigating those waters with all these different individuals? Um, do you mind sharing what you do to get consensus across that committee? Yeah. So I think the first thing is, by the way, is to be extremely un, um, and forthrightly trans, um, um, respectful excuse yeah. me, of the different points of view. Okay. Um, so walking in the door and saying that's right and that's wrong 
is not a good strategy. Because <laughs> yeah. right? people aren't going to coalesce around conflict. Um, the second thing you want to do, I think, is is to provide, uh, a th- and you, this is what you, what you try to do, I think, with anything, but when you hear the different points of view and you f- kind of figure them out from the questions that are asked and the dialogue that you're privy to, try to find where the common ground is because there's yeah. usually a place where people can all coalesce around an idea, um, whether it's a specific fact yeah. or, or a piece of history that informs the right way to think about a, co- a complicated topic. Mm. So those kinds of things, if you can provide a roadmap for people around something they agree on fundamentally, and then you can push away a few of the details they disagree yeah. on by keeping them focused on the big picture issue and not the nuances that maybe cause some some disagreement amongst the group. But it's that idea of respect of the different people around the table. Yeah create some kind of pathway for them that they can all kind of largely get around for the yeah. most part. And those are the ways that you, you get to a good place with a group of people. And then the last thing is I think when you're in a competitive situation where there are maybe four or five organizations like yours that are being considered. Yeah. And our, we, used to, we kind of jokingly call them beauty pageants. Like they bring in each one for 40 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. And so how do you stand out in that? And, and one way you do it is to, first of all, hopefully – come off with a lot of energy and a lot of passion for yeah. their organization and for what you do and how you can help them. Yeah, that's really uh, – how important is it that you're aligned with the cause or you're aligned with the vision that the foundation is trying to achieve? It's so important. But if you do that, if you may, if, if you've, when you express that, yeah. it has to be indirect. And it has to be indirect because when you walk into an organization, particularly a nonprofit – Mm. Um, they're pretty much used to people telling them how great they are <laughs> and how much, how much important they do for it. And that can come off as lacking in yeah. credibility for you. And you sound, you don't sound particularly deep. Yep. Um, so what you really want to do is you want to express a passion for the outcomes that you can help create, which then ties into their mission. And yeah. that's how you, you very directly hit on what you do as opposed to a more pandering type of, Oh my God, you're so great what you do. I, yeah. I read about this in your report. Yeah, everybody can read the annual report yep. on your website. You need to have, bring something much more substantive to the table. Yeah, because otherwise you come across disingenuous, right? Correct. And, you know, that's yeah. a quick way not to have a good relationship with someone. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the topics or one of the questions that I'm really excited to ask, because when you look at investing, you could sort of say that it's a logical decision that people make when they look at some numbers and they say, well, this is telling me X. But sort of in the green room, we were talking a bit about the emotion that drives people's decision. Now, with the market essentially making a bit of a, it's not going in the way that I think many people would like, um, there's a bit of fear around you know, what it looks like. And logically, or I suppose, for many, the, are taking the decision, well, it's time to, to retract, to maybe pull back on investing or um, hold making decisions. I'd love for you to talk to us about the the motion versus the logic and and what people should be doing when things aren't necessarily going to plan. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think always the word to remind yourself of when you think about investing is cycles. Yeah, everything is a cycle, and and it's there's an old expression in, in investing that you be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. Yeah. Um, and that really is another way of talking about cycles. And, yeah. and so the beauty of an endowment fund or a long-term fund like ours, so yes, we need to generate returns over shorter periods of time that yeah. are satisfactory or better. Um, but what we're really thinking about is how do we get the long-term outcomes we want. Yeah. 
And the way you do that is what you're asking about, Luigi, which is that when, when markets are dropping, um, we're all very fearful of this because it makes us, mm. it, we are, we're, we're now poorer than we yeah. were before. And we're also very much afraid that we're going to get even poorer because yeah. people assume that what's happening now will continue. And, but that, if you think about that, that's exactly the opposite of what a cycle is. A cycle is something that goes down and then it comes back mm. and then it goes no, hopefully up and up yeah. to the right eventually. And so the thing you have to do is not retrench when bad things are happening in the market. You need to be, of course, thoughtful. Yep. You need to be prudent. All those things are very important. But don't use those as excuses to become defensive and fearful. Um, mm. And it's so important. I mean, I think the biggest and best advice we've ever given our clients, you know, there's lots of little things that we get yep. right and some we get wrong, but the biggest thing that we almost always get right is to be steady, be consistent. And being consistent means I need to earn this return. Yeah. When prices are lower, my chances of earning that return just went up, not down. And when prices are higher, I have to be more careful because now I just got paid tomorrow's return today. Yeah. And that means it won't be there tomorrow. Yeah, interesting. And I think... What you're sharing is a strategy that should be applied across every element of business, right? Like if the market's turning, it's a good, there's a good chance your competitor will retract. So there's an opportunity to grow market share if you can double down and invest in growth. Um, so I really like what you're sharing. But do you mind talking to us a bit about the psychology that drives people to think that I should be retracting yeah. Where the it's the emotion driving. I mean, you you mentioned the bias around that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of cycles. So what I love about investing is there's an intellectual side to it, yep. which is you know what does a company do? How do that? What's their competitive position? All the things that you were referring to a minute ago. Um, but there's also a very strong psychological and emotional side to mm. it because we are you know we see numbers and we have an emotional reaction to them sometimes yeah. positive or negative, and and so getting to what you're suge- asking about. There's this thing we call it's it's a, it's not our term it's a term term it's a, it's called recency bias um, yeah and it's this idea that whatever state we're currently experiencing will persist um, yeah. and that's what drives us to be fearful when things are not going well okay. and yeah. maybe by the way to get a little sloppy you know maybe a little lazy when things are going well because like hey, everything's fine yeah. but it's not fine it's going to change and but mostly it's changing in the right direction yeah so that's so essentially what's really driving people there is emotion. Right. Yeah, it is. It is. And yeah. yeah. And, and you can't, the, the hard part for anybody with this is if I say to you, um, it's going to be fine. Your logical next question is going to be, well, when? Yeah. And, and I have to, if I'm going to be honest with you, tell you, I don't know. And, and that's a lot of uncertainty and people yeah. don't like uncertainty. Let's, let's be clear. We like yeah. to know that things are going to happen and they're going to happen a certain mm-hmm. way. But the reality is that's not how the world works, yeah. right? There's a lot of uncertainty and there always will be. So how do you work through that? So when you've got, whether it's a prospect that you're, you're talking to, they've got the, you can see there's a heightened level of emotion, um, that bias is kicking in. How do you work with them to manage that emotion, to drop that tension so that they can be confident in the decision they're about to make? Yeah. So the first thing, I mean, you need to first establish that you have some domain expertise, that yeah. they should be listening to you, like that you're, you have a message that's worth hearing. <laughs> right? If you don't do that, then the yeah. rest of it doesn't matter, right? The second thing is, is you, need to, you need to establish a rapport and a trust with that person where they know that I'm here talking to you about X mm. and advising you on Y because I believe it's in your best interest. Mm. Um, and my best interests, which of course are going to always be important to me too, 
only flow through from what's best for you. Yeah. And when you establish that kind of trust, then you can go to the message from before, which is to say, now listen, I understand that this is happening and this is bad and this is bad, but what if I told you that history has proven time and time again that when this happens, this always follows? Yeah. And we have had this experience and we have facts to support the idea that this mm. actually is gonna happens every single time and yeah. you can count on it. And all those things come together and hopefully you walk away and say, you know, maybe I should think about this a little differently. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's the secret. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm summarizing in my head. I think I love what you're saying. You've got to have, you build that rapport and trust through the level of expertise, your domain expertise that you've had, you have, but then you calm them by actually showing what the past has occurred and pretend, and showing that there is a there is a way out of this. It's about navigating through this. Exactly. Right. We actually have a cool chart. So anytime you can have some data. Yeah. to support your case. And historically, we have some of our longstanding clients. You know, yeah. So you take a client has been with Crucial for you know, 30 years. They've had at least six or seven times where their portfolio dropped 10, 15, 20, 25% in value. So these yeah. are really, really disturbing and difficult periods. So we have this cool chart where we show them, here's the 10 times, seven <laughs> yeah. times that happened. Here's um, how quickly you made back the money. And usually it's in months. Okay. And not in years. Yeah. Like eight months later, you had made back your loss. Um, and then we show them another really cool thing, which is what was your five-year return? Because remember, we think long-term, and yep. five's not even that long, but let's just use five. What's your five-year return from the worst moment, just before the drop, yeah. five years later, and every single time it's positive. Um, and that helps people say, okay, wait a second. Yeah. This history is telling me something. Yeah. And I'm telling you as a trusted advisor that that history is something you should be paying attention yeah, to. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, there's a couple of things there, right? Because I was going to just about to ask before you mentioned that. When a client has had a major dip in their portfolio and they pick up the phone, they say, Mike, you know, with a stress to the, to the hill, is that your strategy to manage through that by showing evidence? I mean, what, what, what do you do to help manage that stress that they go through? Yeah. I mean, the first thing you have to do is you have to connect. Yeah. And, and you can't come off as, it's no big deal, don't worry about it. You, you can't patronize people, yeah. especially when, by the way, they're not afraid of nothing. They're afraid of something that's very, very yeah. real in their lives, right? So empathy is a really good place to start, which, yeah. you know, I understand how hard this is. And then you start to switch to, but this is why we've designed your spending policy if you're a charity so that you're not going to have to cut your spending overnight because of this yeah. drop. In fact, the opposite's probably possible. Then here's your portfolio strategy. And then here's the history. And so just very calmly mm -hmm. after you have established that, yes, I understand why this is very disturbing, but here's the things that I know help me feel less worried about the future. And maybe they'd help you as well. Yeah. Okay. And so underlying, the underlining premise behind that is the, the empathy that you show yeah. and actually showing that I do care. I'm not discounting your what your concern, but let me walk you through what's actually happening so that you can get a better understanding of what the future should look like. Exactly. There's a human connection and you just described it. Yeah. Um, so fun. And again, I know that I could sit here and talk to you for hours. We have a limited amount of time today. <laughs> um, but would love to get, given that you've been working in this space as a trusted advisor for so many years, you're essentially selling, but not selling. What would be your definition of, of sales 
from the eyes of somebody that has worked with so many people and so many organizations over the past 20 years. Yeah. But I think the wonderful thing, and it's interesting, you know, when you talk about sales, when I was a younger man, I thought, I thought sales was the idea of convincing someone to hire you. Yeah. And, and it, that's part of it. But the sales is every single day, every interaction you yeah. have with that, that organization or person is about, here's why we're a good partner for you. And, and it's, so it's a constant process yeah. of, of making that happen. And to me, you know, the, I think the greatest thing in the world, and I know not everyone gets this, but I, I hope most of your listeners do, like if you actually believe yeah. in what it is that you are trying to convince someone else to do or buy and the service, the product, et cetera, um, then, you know, you really, I can look you in the eye and I can say to you, I think this is really going to be great for you. Yeah. And, and, and of course, explain why. And to me, that's like the, that's sales, yeah. right? And convincing you that that is true. And then I can do it better when I actually, you know, I might be wrong, but I think and I, I believe I know that it's going to be good for you and you're going to be really happy for that yeah. five or ten years from now or even yeah. longer. So having that conviction and that, that, that excitement for what they can achieve is pretty important, right? Yeah, I think I don't think anybody I, – I, I, I'm sure there are amazing people who can sell anything whether they believe in it or not. Yeah. Um, but I think for most of us mere mortals, I think if, if we if we really believe in something, any of us can be great salespeople. Yeah. Well, Mike, this has been an awesome episode. And as I've mentioned, I think I could I could continue to talk to you for hours on end about this subject, right? Because you're a wealth of knowledge. You've got such such incredible experience. But um, just before we wrap up our show, um, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Ah, LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, or they can look at the crucial partners yeah. website. I guess we'll provide that link, um, but uh, feel free at any time. And right. uh, so we have a great global research effort. So we get to travel around the world like you do. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so love to connect with people. Awesome. And I'll make sure that uh, your link is in the show notes or where they connect with you. But I just want to say thank you very much for giving up your time. I know you're incredibly busy um, for coming on the scalable growth podcast. Oh, it's been an honor and thank you. Real pleasure too. Thanks Luigi.